That's a hard act to follow. <laughs> One of the most amazing things to me about the Christian life, in the 53 years that I've known the Lord, yeah, that's right. I received the Lord when I, no, 54 years, because I received the Lord when I was 13. And I just turned 67. I don't mind telling people how old I am because I think it's tremendous that God allows us to live this long. I really do. But the amazing thing to me, the thing that comes back to me over and over again, is that God wants us to know him. We've just sung a chorus about that a while ago. He wants us to, to know him intimately, to have fellowship with him, to think that he wants to have fellowship with me when I know what's in my heart and I know that the, the things that I have to deal with and the things that I've dealt with in my life in the past. And just to think, God says it's important to him to have fellowship with me. It's important to him for you and for me to get to know God intimately. Turn with me to Philippians, will you please? Philippians, the third chapter. Now this is a statement by Paul, the apostle. He's right at the, basically at the end of his life now. He has served the Lord. He's watched the Lord work. He's been stoned. He's been mistreated. In fact, he wrote this from prison. Now, think of all that God had done in Paul, through Paul, for Paul. And listen to these words, starting with verse 12. Actually, verse 7, please. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.
Our Father, take these moments now and make them hallowed moments. By your Holy Spirit, do what you want in each life here. Beginning with mine. Teach us. Draw us to yourself. Be glorified as a result of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. This this concept that Paul just wrote to us about here, the concept of nothing else being important alongside of learning to know Christ, gaining an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a big difference between being acquainted with Christ and knowing him. And I'm afraid that in many of our churches today, and even here in Calvary Chapel, there are many people who have become acquainted with Jesus Christ. You have taken that initial step And you've experienced the reality of forgiveness. And you've received him as your personal savior. And you have developed that level of acquaintance with Jesus Christ. But by the same token, I am convinced, as I have observed in various parts of the world and traveled and spoken, I am convinced that very few, very few people have the consuming burden and desire that Paul expressed here. Where anything else is really not important alongside the importance of learning to know the Lord Jesus Christ. To really know him. If you remember, back in the book of Exodus, Moses was one of the first that we have recorded that express this kind of a desire. In chapter 33, verse 13, Moses is having a very intimate conversation with God. And and he says, now, therefore, and he's talking to God like a friend. He says, therefore, if I have pleased you, show me now your way so that I may know you and please you more. Isn't that interesting? If I've pleased you, show me your way that I may know you better so that I can please you more. What what Moses is saying here and what the Spirit of God is saying to us through this passage is that it pleases God very much for us to desire to know him. It pleases God very much for his children to want to have that kind of intimate fellowship with him, to learn to know him. David, when he was ready to end his reign, God was calling him. In First Chronicles, chapter 28, let me read what he said to his son, Solomon. He could have said many things to Solomon, and he did. He made several statements. But here's the statement that I find so interesting. 
This is in chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles, verse 9. Here's what it says. And you, Solomon, my son, know, know the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly with devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. It brings to my mind another passage you remember in, in Jeremiah 29, where God makes that beautiful promise. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, and the plans for your welfare, and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. But then he adds this, this phrase. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And then he adds this, and I will be found by you. And so all through, all through the scripture we have this repeated, repeated interaction between God and some body a person that seeks him, that thirsts for him, that desires to know him. And God's response, God's delightful response when he reaches out to that person to reveal himself, to show that person who he is and how he loves them. God desires this from all of us. In fact, the Apostle Peter <clears throat> after the turbulent experiences that he had in his own spiritual life. And after God's Spirit anointed him and came upon him and he became the man that God was striving to make him, at the end of his life, he writes in 2 Peter 3.18 these words, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of Christ. Learning to know Jesus Christ is not something that happens momentarily. It's something that takes place over a period of time. Now, one of my fears is this, that because we are acquainted with God, because we are acquainted with Jesus Christ, we settle for that. And we fail to pursue getting to know him and asking him to reveal himself to us that we might know him more intimately and serve him and glorify him more completely. The delightful thing, as I said at the beginning, the unusual, the, the amazing thing is that he wants this from you and me. This kind of, of intimacy, he wants you to seek him, and he promises to meet you and reveal himself to you. People ask me often, do you know so-and-so? Might be someone that's fairly well-known, and occasionally I've met some of those people, and, 
And my answer has to be, well, I have, I, I'm acquainted with them. I met them, but I don't know them. You have to be with someone to get to know them, don't you? If you want to know who I am, ask Florine. She'll tell you. Well, better still, don't ask her. But, but, but she knows me. I mean, she knows all those little interesting parts of my life that some of the rest never really see. Because we've lived together for 46 years. In fact, we just celebrated our 46th anniversary yesterday. 46 years. Thank you. I, I agree. I would clap too. It's remarkable that she's been able that she's been able to put up with it for that long. But but that's what it takes to get acquainted with one another. It doesn't come quickly or easily. This morning, what I want to do, I want to take us through five steps that the Lord has shown me in order to get to know and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, if you have a piece of paper, or if not, what I've done, I've put it on the inside cover of my Bible. I want you to draw a five-pointed star, just a regular star, five points. Don't worry if it doesn't come out very pretty, as long as it has a semblance of a star, a five-pointed star. In our in our process of knowing him, we start at the top, the top star, the top point of the star. And we're going to put this word up there, know, K-N-O-W, all right? Now, let me explain why I put that there. In order to first begin knowing God, there has to be some knowledge. You have to have something to start with. And when I first came to Jesus Christ as a 13-year-old lad in the kitchen of my cousin, you remember I told you that story, she was peeling potatoes, which is a very spiritual involvement. But in that process, as she was peeling potatoes, she said, George, wouldn't you like to give your heart to Jesus? Well, no one had ever asked me. I'd been attending a little church. I'd been hearing about the message, but no one had ever asked me. And when she did, I said, yeah, I really would. And we went into her living room, and I received Jesus as my personal Savior. I remember that very clearly. Well, I didn't know much about Jesus. I didn't know who he was or is. All I knew at that point was that he had forgiven me. I knew that that he had given me a new life. I didn't even understand all that was involved in it, but I knew that was true. And that, see, that element of knowledge is the beginning of our growth process in knowing Jesus Christ. We start there. We know that much about him, that he died for me, that he shed his blood, that I might have eternal life. And that he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He invites us to come to him. That's, that's really all I knew. I was forgiven. I was cleansed. I was a new person, even if I didn't understand all about that. Now, that's a beginning point. That area of knowledge is, it is imperative to start the process. Some of you here this morning haven't had that yet. Some of you haven't come to the point of recognizing that Jesus died for you personally and that you can experience forgiveness and new life by coming to him and simply confessing. As I did that, that day on the, on the floor and the rug of my, my cousin's home, knelt by the sofa, and, and I just said, Lord, forgive me. I want to receive you as my personal Savior. And, and he took me up on it. And he forgave me. And he'll forgive you. And he'll give you new life. But there has to be that beginning point. You can't, you can't learn to know him until you meet him. And this meeting is crucial in order for the growth process to continue. And so you, you have that, inter, that, that initial stage of, of meeting him. This morning, we read from one of the Psalms. I'd like to read a little part of it that's a little further on. It's Psalm 103. And, and beginning with verse 10. This is what we begin to realize right there at the beginning. When we first come to Jesus Christ, listen to what this says. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Aren't you glad that's true? Yeah. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. For as high or repay us according to our iniquities. This is verse 10, by the way. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, that is, who respect him. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. You see, that initial encounter, he receives us and forgives us, and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Now, when we begin, when we understand and know just that much, just that he has forgiven us, that he loves us, that he cares, that he wants to give us a whole new life. When we begin to understand just that much and have that much knowledge, what does it produce in us? Love. Obviously. Our response is to love him for his goodness to us. So as you go to the right on your star now, the right side, the next point, just write love there. 
love. So because we know that little bit about him at the beginning, a love relationship begins to develop. And we love him. We may not love him very perfectly. It may be very limited. But there's a response of love. First John says, we love him because he first loved us. There's an old hymn. Maybe you remember it. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Sing the chorus again. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. The psalmist said, I love the Lord because he has heard my cry. Therefore, will I call upon him as long as I live. We learn to love Jesus when we begin to see how much he has done. He died for us. He forgives us. He gives us life eternal. He gives us promises. And so we respond. We respond in love. We respond in love when we begin to recognize how he accepts us. Do you remember the story in John 8 of the woman who was taken in adultery? And they brought her to Jesus and they said, Moses said, we stone her. What do you say? Now, Jesus did not oppose that. Because he said, I've come to fulfill the law, not to deny it. And so they brought this woman. Now imagine, think about it. Let your sanctified imagination get in that. What would happen if you were brought in front of a group of men like that, especially you women now, and you're brought and you're pushed out in front of these people? Are you going to stand there very brazenly and proudly and say, okay, go ahead, stone me. I doubt it. Very likely, you'd be down on the ground covering your head, waiting for the rain of stones to fall. And there she is. And Jesus writes something on the ground. We don't know what it was. He said, you're right. Moses did say that. So, he looked at these men, he said, let the one among you that is without sin cast the first stone and the rest will join you. And the Bible says, one by one, the men turned and left because they were all sinners. 
And then I can just see Jesus. And he walks over to where this lady is, on the, just groveling on the ground waiting. He lifts her to, his, to her feet. And he looks her in the eye. And in that amazing love and compassion that Jesus has, he says, where are the men that condemned you? She said, Lord, they're gone. And then Jesus looked at her and he says, neither do I condemn you. Ah, wait, that's not the end of the sentence. Go and sin no more. Complete acceptance, but not approval of the behavior. And that's where we have to be very careful, that we not take advantage of the goodness and the graciousness and the love and the forgiveness of God. He said to this woman, I love you. You are important. I accept you. I don't approve of your behavior. You stop it. I have an idea she did. I have an idea that she sensed the love of Jesus and and because of his love, she changed. She changed her activities. Acceptance. That's, that's what he does. That's what his love does. This love of God. The love of God that does this for us. Well, we started out by saying we have an increment of knowledge. Might not be much at the beginning. But on the basis of that knowledge of his forgiveness and all, there's love that responds from us to him. And that love leads us to the third step on your star. The third point as you go around to the right. And that point is obedience. Obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. You see, love is not just something that we express verbally or even in a chorus that we sing or when we lift our hands. All of that is fine. Jesus said, He that has my commandments and keeps them, obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Obedience to Jesus is imperative in demonstrating love to him. To say that we love him and not do what he asks is to fall into the category of those people to whom Jesus said, you call me Lord, and yet you do not the things that I say. Obedience is a demonstration of love. So if we love him, we will obey him. We will do those things that, that he asks us to do. Regardless of how we feel. Now, in our society, and we've talked about this before, but in our society, we are so geared to feelings that very often our feelings overcome an awareness that we have 
of what we should do. And we go with our feelings. And God says, this is what you should do. And we say, yes, but, but this is how I feel. And so we do what we feel like doing rather than what God says we should do. The word of God was not given to us as a suggestion, my friends. The word of God was given to us as a directive. And he tells us what we should do in order to experience the blessings that he has for us. It isn't arbitrary. It's not that he's just trying to make us into little automatons. He is saying, if you want to be blessed, you do it by virtue of obedience. Doing what God says you should do, whether you feel like it or not. Maybe there's someone that you've offended, and you need to go to them, maybe even after this service. And confess and ask forgiveness. Oh, but I don't feel like that. Because, because they really did, the, did it first. And so they should come to me and ask forgiveness. I, we rationalize our way around these things very quickly and very easily. God says, no. no you, you go and forgive them just because I said so. There is some teaching going around today that says, you should not offer forgiveness to anyone until they repent. That is not what the Bible teaches. Thank you. When Jesus was teaching in the, in the Gospels, much of what he was teaching was still a representation of the law. Remember that. Jesus was teaching under the law. Even though he came to bring grace, he came to bring forgiveness, during his ministry he did not in any way deny the law. And the law required that a person should repent. And the disciples said, well, how often do we forgive? And he said, as often as they repent. And people take that and transfer it into the church, but you will not find that in the epistles. In the epistles, what it says is, for example, Ephesians 4.32, it says, you forgive one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. And that's not conditional. God forgives. God's forgiveness is complete. Experience the reality of that forgiveness until we repent. That's true. But the forgiveness is not withheld. God's forgiveness is always available to us. Not only that, but we forgive because of what it does for us. We forgive in obedience to God and we experience the reality of cleansing because we do what God asks us to do even when we don't feel like it. And so it is with many commands. The command to love one another. But I don't like that person. That's all right. You don't have to like them. But you have to love them. Demonstrate the qualities of love, even if you don't like that person. One of the tragedies of our society, and you know this better than I do, is how many young people come for counsel and say, well, I just don't love her anymore. 
And what they're saying is, something's happened in our relationship, and and I'm not enjoying some things anymore. I don't like the way he drops his clothes all over the house when he comes in and 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 after work. And and he says, I don't like the way she takes two hours to fix her hair. And and there are things that they don't like about one another. And so they they come to, to, to the realization, they think, that they no longer love one another. But that's not true. Love is an act of the will. We choose to love because God says we love, regardless of how we feel. That's what obedience is. Obedience is doing what God says we should do regardless of how we feel. And and love, love for Christ, should produce in us that kind of commitment. Well, after this matter of of recognizing that that obedience is so important, in fact, uh, just a thought comes to me right now. Do you remember a story back in the Old Testament? King Saul. God sent Samuel and said that he was to go, Saul and his army, was to go and utterly wipe out the Amalekites. This is in 1 Samuel 15. And, and it says they went out and they fought the Amalekites, but they spared the silver and the gold, and the best of the cattle, and the best of the sheep, and even the king, King Agag, they spared his life. Well, God said to Samuel, the prophet, he said, Samuel, they haven't done what I said. You you better go and take a look at that. So Samuel goes. And Saul, Saul was a rascal. Saul saw him coming, and he ran out there in the plain to meet him because he didn't want him to see all the cattle and the sheep that they had kept. But Samuel had good ears, had good hearing, and he met Saul out there, and Saul said, Bless you, the Lord bless you, we've done, we've done what God said we should do. He knew he hadn't. He still lied about it. And Samuel said, that's interesting, Saul. Do I hear some sheep? Do I hear some cattle? Well, Saul said, I'll tell you what happened. The The people wanted to keep some of these, so I let them do it. The people. I mean, he even tried to blame the other person. He didn't want to take the responsibility for it. Now listen to the words of God to King Saul in his disobedience. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken is more important than the fat of rams. What God was saying is that obedience supersedes Anything we can bring to God, offering, service, coming to church, singing the choruses, all of that may be good, but obedience is more important than any of those things. That's what God says about obedience. Well, okay, let's move on. We've got two more points on this star, and we've got to wind it up. Go to the fourth point now. 
And on that one, I want you to put the word please. Please. You see what happens is, as we know him, we love him. And as we love him, we obey him, or at least we should. And when we obey him, we please him. We do those things that are pleasing in his sight. It's interesting, because even the Lord Jesus, in John the 8th chapter, John 8, and in verse 29, says this, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus sought always to please the Father. That's our example. To do what pleases God. 1 John 3.22 says, We do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Obedience is pleasing. Serving others is pleasing. Honoring God is pleasing. We please God. And then we go to the last point. And that's this. Just what the word reveals. Reveals. As I please him, he says he will reveal himself to me. We saw a moment ago John 14, 21. A new... uh, uh, um, slipped my mind. John fourteen twenty one. Let me look it up here. He had, that has my commandments and keeps them. He it is that loves me. Now notice the rest of this. And he that loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will what? Reveal myself. To him. As I obey him, as I seek to do those things that are pleasing in his sight, he says he will reveal himself. I will get to know him better. He will show me who he is. He wants us to know him. And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, We've gone all the way around the star. And look what's happened. We started out with a little bit of knowledge that causes us to respond in love. And that love causes us to want to obey him. And as we obey him, we please him. And as we please him, he reveals himself to us. So what happens? We get to know him better. And we start all around again. And we we continue this cycle the rest of our lives. Every time we know something about him, we respond in love that leads us to obedience, that pleases God so that he reveals himself to us and we know him better. Isn't that remarkable that he wants us to experience that? He wants you to know him intimately, to enjoy him, to, to, to let him use you in any way he wants. 
You see, when we learn to know him, we have no fear of what he might do with our lives. John, 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love. When we, when we know God's love and we know him, we're not afraid of what, what he might do. And we can say like that, like that old song says, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or the mountain or range or sea. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. We can say that because we know he loves us. Because we've learned to know him. What a blessing that we can get to know God. Oh, I pray that the Spirit of God will give you a hunger and a thirst this morning to know God in a new way. I'd like for you to just bow your heads with me. There are undoubtedly some here this morning that have never begun on this journey. They've never taken that first step of knowing how much God loves you and that he wants to forgive your sin. That he wants you to come and admit your need for Jesus Christ. He wants to begin revealing himself to you by showing you how much he loves you, that he wants to forgive you, that he wants to give you a new life. If you've never taken that step, if you have never said, Lord, I need you, I confess, I want to receive you as my Savior. If you've never done that, and you'd like to do it this morning, I'd like for you, for you to just raise your hand wherever you are and let us pray for you. Anyone, anywhere. Just lift your hand, and we'll pray for you. You want to know him, and you've never done that. Anyone? Thank you. Yes, I see your hand. You can put that down. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. The Lord bless you. Anyone else? There are many of you here this morning who have come to know Jesus, you're acquainted with him, but you have not pursued and grown in your knowledge of God. And these little steps that we've suggested this morning have helped you understand how you might get to know God more intimately. And this morning, you'd like to say, I want to know God. I want to know Jesus Christ more intimately. And I want to obey him and please him so that he can reveal himself to me and I can know him better. Just raise your hand real quickly, wherever you are. Good. Many of you. That's good. Thank you. Father, 
You've watched, you've heard, you've observed. I pray now that there will be many of us who will say with Paul, I count everything else but loss. Nothing else is important besides getting to know you. Thank you that you've said you would reveal yourself to us. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.